Roger. Here we go. Okay, I think it's pulling the wrong one. I'm just... Okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. There was still a little bit uh, left in the... Okay, don't hold it quite so tight. Okay. Hi! Welcome to the podcast. This is how it's going to start. everybody, welcome to Live the Tape, also known as the Executive Buffet, also known as uh, where you put the hands on the branch, also known as uh, the only place where Daddy's big red truck is allowed to drive around as much as it wants. You hop in Daddy's big red truck and well, when you hop in here, Daddy's going to drive you around and maybe take you on some bumps and open the door while we're driving just for fun, but you've got a seatbelt on so you're okay. Everything's good once you're inside Daddy's big red truck headed to the Executive Buffet. And boy, have we got a fucking executive for you today on the freaking buffet. It's a, it's a big, big time, time executive. executive. I'm talking I'm about talking major, major league executive, executive action. The kind you can't just deny. The kind of shit you go into a hotel and you check in and you're like, who's that executive? That's what I talk about. That's what I talk about. Hey, talk about that. God, it's enough of the effects, right? Have you had enough of my effects? I think you have. Okay, so um, this is a great podcast. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But first, let me just say, if you don't know, we have a Patreon page. It's uh, patreon.com slash live to tape. That's Patreon, however that's spelled, and .com, which is a period, also known as a dot, .com slash live to tape, one word. And there's all kinds of extra weekly and monthly goodies there for the different levels of of financial engagement that you seek to become engaged with. There's that. Also, if you could and would and should, please uh, rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. It's easy to do. You're probably already doing it, but you might as well because, you know, just do that. And if you're going to write a review, um, don't write a shitty one because no one cares about that shit (laughs) because it sucks. That's what always blows my mind. This is a little bit of a tangent, but... You know, you're watching like a YouTube video or something where like, oh, this is the most pure, wonderful thing I've ever seen. It's something like a, like some guy in Afghanistan building a, um, a metal rim, casting it out of sand that he's doing with like minimal tools. Just something where it's super interesting and the person who's doing it is not espousing anything 
controversial or even political or anything like that at all. They're just doing something that's very, very pure. My favorite thing, I think it's kind of inspirational actually, is just to see how many fucking people thumbs down that. You're like, how could you thumbs down this of all things? And to me, it's like, oh, there's always going to be somebody out there who's like, oh, that, that sucks when it's like a, like a kitten trying to give you a kiss. Don't, don't, don't kiss me, kitten. That kind of shit. I just love it. I think it's just so funny and crazy that we live in a world where those people exist. And it's great, though, because we just have to realize they're out there and we have to just, um, you know, we have to be ourselves in the face of those people. So uh, going back to what I was saying before, basically, you know, if you're going to if you're going to leave a, a rev- writer review of the podcast, you can be that person if you want. But I'm just going to laugh at you. I'm just going to laugh at you. Okay. Uh, do that. Also, the email for the podcast that I don't check nearly as much as I should is, uh, what is it? It's live to tape podcast at gmail.com. That's L-I-V-E-T-O-T-A-P-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. That's gmail. That's G-mail. G-M-A-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-I-L.com. Dot also known as a period. There's that. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, if you have, if you like YouTube more than you like listening to stuff, you like your podcast on YouTube. The podcast is now on YouTube. I'm looking at you. I'm literally looking at the camera right now, saying, "Hey, you're watching this on YouTube." So if you're listening to it and you're like, "Oh wow, I didn't know he was doing that," um, I'm doing it now. I've been doing it for a couple of them, and I'm really liking it. It's fun and cool. And I'm right now. You can see what I'm wearing. I'm not gonna tell the listeners what I'm wearing right now because then they have to fucking well I guess I could tell them they could just imagine it how that's how literature works right is you tell people the thing and they go oh I, I'm thinking of the thing you said but I'm not going to say it because I want to I want to incentivize the people who go to YouTube so there's that there's that um... yeah baby we got all that stuff going on ready to rip dip scrape and tip come on down to the ripping ship where we'll drop you off hit you in the hip and send you back out to wade through the shit i'd like to introduce my guest but first i'd like to introduce the person who's going to introduce my guest you know him as johnny pemberton also known as kevin tipcorn jason pepperhouse one of our favorite hosts of this podcast here he is to introduce the podcast uh, uh, uh there you are hey it's me everybody hey uh so my guest today i'm very excited about presenting this podcast the one and only andy j pizza from creative pep talks we've had a podcast before i've done his podcast before both times, swimmingly excellent. This man is just a joy to talk to. I find his insights into creative career planning and just all these things surrounding that to be absolutely wonderful. And uh, this was just like a scintillating conversation. I have, um, I say that word scintillating a lot for two reasons, because it's true. And reason number two is because it's one of the better words that we have uh, in the world is scintillating. Uh, also, no, this is such a scintillating blaster of a podcast that Andy and I are both putting this episode out on our respective streams. If you haven't checked out his podcast, it's called Creative Pep Talks. You can find it easily by Googling and searching those words I just said. His podcast is uh, it's great. I, it's been it's been super helpful to me. It's been helpful to a lot of people I know who I've told about it. Uh, it's just great. It's one of those things where um, 
There's nothing like it out there. So I'm not going to belabor the point here. I'm not going to, you know, beat the bush until all the nuts fall off the bush. I say that because I think about anytime, you know, they say don't, they say beat around the bush, which is, I think that has to, I think it's an old hunting term. But I, I was thinking about beating bushes, like with a stick. I think that uh, that's how you harvest pinon nuts. When I think of a pinon pine bush, I think of it as being a bush and not a tree, even though it's technically kind of a tree, but they're kind of bushy. The idea of you're, you're beating the bush. So instead of beating around the bush, I'm going to beat the bush, knock all the nuts out, and these nuts are presented for you here now, these delicious, fatty, over not over, perfectly priced pinon nuts here on Live to Tape with my outstanding guest, Mr. Pizza. Yeah. T minus 10, 9, 8. We have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Okay, I'm going to introduce you. Welcome to Live to Tape. This is probably the second or third intro into the podcast right now I'm doing. Please welcome my guest, Mr. Andy J. Pizza. Hi. Live. Live on the internet, streaming. Hi, Andy. Hi. Happy Cheers. to be here. Uh, I don't have a drink. Uh, well, you know what? That's a big thing you got to have nowadays, man. You go into one of these conferences, you got to have multiple bevs. Side I, stage. I always want to have a carbonated thing, but then you're burping the whole time. and Yeah. That's a bad Also, idea. I cannot drink those. I drink those so fast. Uh, yeah, me too. I mean, That's I could if I had like a row of them here, I would just drink four or five in an hour probably. Oh, really? You got a fresh cut. Is that? Yeah. This is it? a home cut. This is a little bit janky, but it it's, uh, you know what? Anything anything to make my head look narrower, I'm I'm into. I'm <laughs> But you see my my recent haircut is just the sides off. Oh and really? That's, it's purely for that reason. Is it gives me some, you know, length yeah. and up, but no sides. There is something really strange about having uh too much hair on the side, and I didn't realize it until very recently. I saw some YouTube video of uh Jenna Marbles and her boyfriend, I can't remember his name, Julian. She was cutting his hair. And yeah. he was saying how talking about that. I was like, "Oh, that's what it is. It's not, it's not the hair in general. It's the hair on the sides." And I just had no idea. All these years, yep. getting the same haircut, I didn't realize. Oh, it's just that. It's the but hair on the side. But one of the things I keep noticing is I keep looking at people that have really thin face that's uh -huh. like sculpted, and I see that they're able to really have a decent amount of hair on their sides, and oh. I'm jealous. I'm like, "Oh man." They've got the, the a face that can handle side hair, and I wish I had that. Lucky. Yep. You'll notice it now. Go look at a lot of these, you know, fancy, mm -hmm. really great-looking actors that got this. And I'm like, damn it! I wish I could. I can, soon if there's like more than a centimeter, I I look three times fatter, and it's just really bad. Well, at least you know, I knowing know. is half yeah. the battle, right? That's right. Yeah, I've heard that. Before. So you're doing great. You're doing really good. I'm doing. Yeah, I am. And I other than uh, are you feeling guilty about the people that have to be out there? Um, I thought you were about to ask me something different. I thought you were about to say, <laughs> are you feeling guilty about how much how much um, 
I'm self, how much I'm self-medicating and napping and all that stuff. <laughs> and I was about to say, I'm not anymore. Yeah. But I, no, I'm not feeling guilty about that. I think I kind of have this realization. This is a little bit maybe, I don't know if it's cavalier, but maybe it's not my place to say, but I kind of think yeah. I know a little bit about people who work in medicine. Uh-huh. And because I you know my dad was a, I grew up in Minnesota where there was all these doctors and stuff in Rochester, Minnesota. My dad's a doctor. Yeah. Everyone knew was doctors. And as much as it is stressful for all the people who are working in healthcare, that's why they got into it because they fucking right. love it. You know, like yeah, right yeah. now, it's terrible, but at the same time, I got to think that they're, they're people, saving lives. Yeah, and they're really going to dig in. And it's like if you're a soldier and you're sitting in your fucking bunk 24 hours a day, you're not really enjoying yourself. But when you right. have that firefight, even though it is you're about to die, it's like you feel fucking <laughs> yeah. alive as hell. And I think that's but the case I, for a lot of these healthcare workers is they're like, I mean, it's, it's dire, but they probably feel very alive, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the same can't be said for the people working at Burger King. The people that are like, that's the reason I got into this thing, man. Yeah. That's that's a different thing altogether. I mean, that's like, that's such a complicated thing, but it's also like, it is a, yeah, you know what? It's, uh, it's not, it can't be solved by me. That's for sure. No, it can't, not not by me either, but I have an, I have two problems. This is a problem for me all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm very empathetic to the point of, like when I watched my wife give birth three times, I was like, I was the unsufferable husband who's like, I can't take this. Like, right. I, I can't watch this person in so much pain. It's killing. I'm like puking. I'm I'm passing out, feeling absolutely. I'm feeling it, not physically, but I am feeling it. And then I I think especially true for I have a hard time. I think all of us have a hard time like putting ourselves in other people's shoes. So for me, being behind a cash register is the most stressful thing in the world to me. It made me feel physically ill. So even if I go into a regular restaurant in a regular time, I still feel like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for you. But I'm like, well, I know they don't feel the same as I do back there, but still. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's also, that's that thing about where, um, it's a weird thing because a lot of times it's, uh, you know, we, we pay people, but we don't know them. And so it's almost like, like yeah. how how dare you pity me? <laughs> right, yeah, totally yeah. true. Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, that's good perspective. But I also so you, think you're... right now it's uh like cool. I'm gonna just tell everyone right now if they don't know, you have a this amazing podcast called Creative Pep Talk. You can see it on the banner behind you. Thanks, man. Yeah. And uh, I the reason I really want to talk to you right now is I feel like, and in some way this is probably like the greatest time to be a self starting creative. Uh, yeah, I mean, I. I <sighs> I get into, uh, I, I've been listening to a lot of, I listened to Duncan Trussell's podcast right. and all your friends with him. I, I was listening to, he was speaking, speaking with a uh, meditation expert. And then I listened to Esther Perel on Tim Ferriss' podcast. And there's a lot of talk on, you know, not judging how other people grieve and right. letting people. So, so some people are in a state where they need routine and as much action as they can get to stay at their best. And then some people need to like survive and go into survival mode and they don't want to think about creativity. So I'm not here to judge anybody about how they need to do it. Mm -hmm. But if you do want to use this time to do creative work, I think that it's, I've been calling it the Corona cocoon. I feel like it's (laughs) this, you know, it's this period. It's the belly of the whale period of you can go in. I've been also, I, you know, I'm really into this idea of like strategic side projects, but I, uh, I've been kind of, uh, swinging the pendulum to the other side 
of exploratory side projects. So I think I think two types of creativity, strategic and, and exploratory. And I think right now is a really good time to be uh, doing exploratory side projects. Linda Berry, who's like a famous comic uh, uh, artist, mm-hmm. um, said that, you know, I think a lot of people try to go make creative work and say, this is my statement, but she would encourage you to be like, what's your question? Like, ask a question with your work. And, and then I, and I think also in screenwriting, it's like, you know, pro, they say that, you know, a movie that tells you the answer is like propaganda mm-hmm. and like, rather than like posing a question. So I think right now I'm thinking about what are the, uh, what's the kind of work that I can make, not as self-expression, like a statement, but as self-excavation. How do I like, how do I dig myself with creative work uh, in this time where we're in this like belly of the whale? So like Joseph Campbell would be like, we're all experiencing belly of the whale right now. It's like the waiting period. That's a good point because it's this thing where if you have this chance to experiment, I guess it's also a way of saying experiment, right? Yep, is yeah, is to do something you wouldn't normally do, and just to see what happens because there's no stakes, because yeah. everyone, no one's working, and there's no, there's no uh, TV or films or anything. Nothing's being made right now on a kind of grand scale. So anything you yeah. make is basically just, just almost throwaway kind of stuff. So you can, yeah, it, it takes a lot of the, the pressure off, even though the stakes are so high right now with everything else. It makes those other things not matter as much. Yeah, if you got all that time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that when I was getting started, mm-hmm. I wanted to skip. I tell this story on stage about how I wanted to do the like, uh, I'll start over. Let me just go back a little bit. Okay. It, when I went to school, it's <laughs> like uh, when I went to school, I wanted to be a gig poster designer. And uh-huh. I and I loved that there all these artists that I loved had like crystallized their weirdness into a very specific style and voice. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And and I was so cavalier in it almost where I was like went to school and I asked my tutor, all right, in first year I wanna uh, I wanna find my voice. I wanna I wanna find my <laughs> style. And they were like, yeah. okay, you're an idiot. Um, and but their response to me was so, like they couldn't give me any actionable steps. And that's so much about what my podcast is because I've found like, yes, there is a mystery to finding your style. There's a mystery to finding your creative voice, but there's also a bunch of like tactical, practical things you can do to take action towards that thing. Um, and, and, And so anyway, I got into school and I I joke about it saying like, I'm like, I really wanna find my style. And their response was like, find your style your style finds you, you know, like this, you know, this, and it made me feel like giving up. It made me feel like if I go into that maze, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, and I have no guarantee of finding anything. I'm just going to die in there. And I'm going to be just like the creative people in my life that, you know, ended in tragedy because I'm not, who knows if it's going to work out. And so I, instead of going into the self-exploration cave of creative work, I wanted to come up with strategic ways of skipping it. So I wanted to, I always say I want to find the warp whistle in Super Mario 3, but for the art career of like, how do I just, how do I just get around having to find myself and get straight to getting a job? Um, And that ended up like biting me, biting me in the ass really bad early on. 
because I didn't put in the work to do the deep self-exploration. And it wasn't until I graduated in the recession, things were going okay. I'd done some tricky tactical tricks. I don't know if you've ever seen my indie rock coloring book, but that like that thing went viral. That right. helped me like launch my career. That was my Super Mario warp whistle. And then recession hit and just like all the, you know, all the fluff and all the, all the stuff that, all the new stuff that didn't have money, have much roots mm -hmm. in the industry was just gone overnight. And that included me because I was just yeah. like a trendy new thing. And so it was about a year after school that I finally said yes to that maze and said, I'm going to do a deep dive into myself with my creative work. And I did this project where I did a new character every weekday for a year. And it was deeply in touch with everything that I really cared about my whole life. And you were working really hard too. So it's that, something about that. There's a, yeah. there's a thing with that. That's um, it's hard to remember that I think. Yeah. It's also, it's even harder to do it, actually do it. Absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, there was something, there's definitely something about showing up every day and putting in time and, and having the discipline of that, that was really instrumental to breaking out. And I, and I also, I mean, even in that, yeah, I learned all kinds of things in that time. I was doing all kinds of projects that were helping me find myself with my work mm -hmm. and find and also develop my craft. But a lot of it was that exploratory stuff. And so, you know, one of the things I think about now is this idea of you want a plate, you know, uh, you ever, you ever no, heard I have you want say a this? plate? <laughs> you on a plate. You, you ever hear Gordon Ramsay say that? Um, I don't. Ha I don't think I have. I've heard Gordon, Gordon Ramsay say a lot of stuff. I haven't heard that one. You want to? Oh, I get it. He's like, what's yeah. what is you on a plate? Yeah. Yeah. So if like if they're from the South and they you know elevate a recipe with grits, right? They're like this is you on a plate, like, and they're all like, man, wow, you really did it. And I, I think uh, I think about that all the time, and I've I've come up with these activities of you know, what things could you put on this metaphorical plate mm -hmm. where people would see it that knew you really well and would know it was you without your name. Oh, so, that's a does good, that make sense? That's a good th I was actually thinking about this just very recently, actually, because I, ha I have to happen to me a lot where I get, um, I just get confused and I kind of forget, like, wait, what is the thing that I do again? Like, what is my voice? Like, I just, I just sometimes forget it and I have yes. to, uh, the thing is, somebody did an acting class years ago. I think the first acting class I ever took. They do this thing where they have um, you sit in a chair in front of the class. You don't say anything at all, and everyone writes down what they think you are, like who you like, yeah. just by how you look and how you're like, sort of, you know, everything about you, just fully judging you based <laughs> yeah. upon on just how you move and just everything about you. And then you read that back and you see all these assessments of what people have taken from what they, what's their first impression of you? Obviously, people have like a secondary and third impressions a lot of times and we like them for that too. But for the most part, yeah. anyone you're seeing on, a, on any type of like film or uh, a movie or a TV show, is, you're getting a lot of that first, like that 90, first 90% kind of shit. And so yes. it's that thing where you kind of like, you get to uh, get this feedback from people that you can't give yourself because you can't like, I mean, I suppose you can step outside yourself sometimes, but it's really hard to have that type of objective lens on yourself uh, without having someone else do it. And it's the kind yes. of thing where 
it's really hard to just get a bunch of people. Like, don't do I have to hire a focus group to come in and be like, can you please uh, tell me about my like, it's Who am like I? That. Yeah, who yes. am I again? Hire a bunch I, of people in the, off the Vegas Strip and have them sit in a room yeah. and look at me and write down like, okay, so what do you think, uh, when you hear my voice, what does that make you think of? Like, stuff like that. Cause, I actually want to yeah. do that now. That sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> I, but, I thought a lot about how you know, finding your style, finding yourself as, as a person, as an artist mm -hmm. is so much about just find like the crazy journey of finding out what everybody around you already knows. Yeah. Like, and they, and they you know, know what I like, mean? They know it so well. They're kind of like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you driving a truck? It's like, yes, I, 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 I drive a truck. I love driving a truck. You, you don't drive a truck. Like why would you look when weird I was in truck. high school, I, you know, growing up, I had an older brother. So I had that thing where I was every, you know, everything he did, I wanted to do. Right. And I made his identity, my identity. And I remember being in working, I worked at the movie theater and my boss who knew me really well was like, what kind of music you like? And I was like, uh, Tupac, Ja Rule. And they were like, what? That's a, I don't understand. And I was like, what do you mean? That's yeah. And so I feel like it's those little moments where you stack enough of those together. I, I, I heard like, I think Drew Carey on a podcast the other day talking about how, you know, so much of the game is like just figuring out and coming to terms with how people see you mm -hmm. and then owning it. Just like being like, yeah, that's, that's who I am. And I, and I think I was, uh, I always, whenever we're on this podcast, I'm always aware of a lot of the examples I will use are from the entertainment world. <laughs> and I'm always thinking I'm safe in my little podcast, <laughs> then nobody will hear it. But then as soon as I'm talking to you, I'm like, I probably can't use this example, but I feel like you hear, I won't say the name, but I feel like you see these people that wanted to be the next Will Ferrell, the next Adam Sandler, the next, you know, right. Jim Carrey and everybody around them knows like who've seen him in roles and stuff you're like that's not gonna happen and and if it is you're gonna do it in such a different way you yeah. can't just go be jack black like it's just it's just not that's not gonna be the your path it's gonna be ha have to be a different thing yeah or it's either that you have to swim upstream and that's what you do yeah and you have to get used to being tired <laughs> or, or you have to fucking <laughs> or heartbroken just or kind of whatever chill. But I mean, I'm not, but the, the point of that is, mm -hmm. is that even like Zach Galifianakis, you know, nobody that saw his live at the Purple Onion would have thought that he had the hangover in, in his future. No. So it's not, so he had this thing, like he, he, he has, he rose to the heights of those folks, but he didn't do it by being on Saturday Night Live and he didn't do it by, you know, he, he figured out this own road that was very in touch with who he is yeah and it still was mainstream in a totally different way and i think that's the other thing i think about all the time is like that's the tr the trickiest part is i i use the same example over and over but is like uh you know gandalf and and yoda and your heroes whoever they are mm -hmm. they can only take you right to the edge of how far they went but everything doesn't get really interesting until you walk away from them and you and that that's total wilderness. So, as an artist, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It totally does. It makes sense a lot. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. I mean, it, obviously, it it changes a lot for different people. Like, what to find what that moment is, and it probably like even yeah. comes back around and refreshes sometimes. And that's the other thing. It's probably there's always reinvention. Yeah, things, and, things are always yeah. changing a lot. So, I was talking to some guy the other day. I, I did it was guest on his podcast, and he was like. Um, saying something about, I don't know, having to change what he's doing 
right now because of everything. And I was like, you mean pivot? Right. <laughs> He's like, I've never heard that before. I'm like, yeah, it's like the most <laughs> common thing ever. Because yeah. he was talking about like, oh my God, I have to do this thing differently. And I was sort of saying how that's what everyone has to do all the time. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Is a, a series of pivots. Like that's, I think, actually, yeah, I think about that a lot because I, I feel like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't actually think I'm a contrarian. I'm pretty like chill, but there's certain things that will rub me the wrong way if I hear them too much. Mm -hmm. And one of them is I'm really crazy about like the growth mindset and grit and, and I, and discipline and going after stuff. But at some point that whole thing of like, just keep swimming. I'm just like, yeah, but if you're going the wrong direction, right. you're just getting further and further away. So that to, to me, I'm, I'm all about that series of, you know, ebb and flow of, all right. Like when I started the podcast, I thought, I didn't think, oh, let me try five episodes and see how that goes. You know, I thought I'm going to do a hundred episodes, even if it's the worst thing ever and everybody hates it. That's how much data I need to know. And, you know, in a hundred episodes in, like I, I was still nowhere close to where it was going to go and what, what was going to happen with it. But it gave me enough kind of qualitative data to know that I was on to something. Yeah. To yeah. get enough feedback to so you can you can move forward knowing you're not just uh, like pissing in the ocean kind of thing. Yeah. You feel like and, you're actually doing something. And I think that I did, like I did a, another project early on in my career, an illustration project where I was doing a bunch of them of where I was doing like 10 pieces in this world or 10 pieces in that world. And I did one for uh, one that went really wrong that I had to pivot hard away from was I was making new book covers for books from the public domain. So oh, yeah. and then screen printing them. And, uh, and I thought this will be really cool. And I made one for wizard of Oz and Alice in Wonderland and 20,000 leagues under the sea and whatever, uh, Moby Dick. And when I made the Moby Dick one, someone on, uh, this is how stupid I was. Like somebody on my uh, Twitter was like, "Oh man, this is awesome! Uh, how'd you like the book?" And I was like, <laughs> "I didn't read the book." <laughs> I was like, "I don't read fiction." And then I'm like, "Oh, this is not the right path for me. Like I'm not gonna be a book cover illustrator because I don't read fiction. Like it's just not gonna, you know what I mean?" But I had to make that stuff to get to that uncomfortable moment of seeing whatever what everyone everyone in my life would have already known that was not a good fit right because, you know what i'm saying um but that's an example of like i had to you know i had to swim that far out i i made like six or seven of those or something before i realized like oh no. but the cool thing about crossing that off the list was now i never have to go back there it's not like that was a waste it was it was something, it was a, like, if I hadn't ever done that in oh, the back of my mind, I could always be it, thinking. Like, yeah. You can't put a price on, on doing, what's that saying? Um, no good deed goes unpunished. I always think about yeah. that saying, but uh -huh. I'm thinking about it in the wrong way. Like I always think about right. where if you do have spent a bunch of time doing something, even though it's a total waste, it's not a waste. So that's, that's my version. I think about that phrase, even though I'm thinking about a totally different meaning, but just yes. anything you do is uh, is something. It's you're just you're taking steps. As long as you're doing something, you are. Yeah. Yes. You can't just throw that away because a lot of times, I think especially in entertainment, people get that imposter syndrome. I know I have for sure. Where it's like you think you don't deserve something because yeah. 
of how easily it came to you. And then you realize like someone has to be like, dude, what do you mean easy? You've been doing this for this long and doing right. all this stuff like that that prepared you for that. So it just it seems like that because of your perception of 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 time and all because our, our perceptions are so I mean, we keep talking about Temporal. this, I guess. It's, it's similar to what I was talking about in terms of like who, who you are and what you like, because it's so really hard to have uh, a, to be objective and have a have perception and perception is perception is um, so powerful. It's kind of. I sometimes oh, can't yeah. believe the degree with which it affects things. Yeah, I, I that reminds me of. Uh, I think it's. I'm gonna. Uh, I don't know. I want to say, pff, I have no idea. There's a productivity guy. Right. I cannot remember his name, but he has a quote that says, um, "Your brain is for having ideas, not holding them." Hmm. And I think that for me, and so his, his thing is like, just he will just have this huge in and out box where everything that's on his mind, he will write on one sheet of paper and put it in this inbox. And then when it's like over with, he'll put it, he'll get rid of it, right? But it's just this idea of like, for me, I make endless amount of lists and I have a few frameworks that I'll use to go back to what you were saying, this whole feeling uncentered as an artist. Mm -hmm. Like this happens to, this is like, this is the main thing that, feels like my work on the podcast and then in my own life is how do you find your center and stay there as often as possible? It's like a tightrope walk. How do you get back to that true north where you're, you know, your energy is in the right place and it, you're able to execute on the kind of work that you want to be doing next? And I feel like there's so much about we can't hold all that information. This, this is actually why I have this framework that I use. It's a seven part thing and it's, it sounds really businessy and stuff. It's not, it's, it's just a, it's almost, it's kind of a, almost like a more like a spiritual path mm -hmm. to me, but it's why I'm so obsessed with a goal, but it's, it's the goals are nothing about uh, forcing something to happen. It's not anything about achieving. It's purely for me, a goal is an embodiment of your industry, market, and niche. And I could use art words to say the same thing. We could say your your field, your genre, and your subgenre. But they're the uh, industry, market, niche, field, genre, subgenre. They're all the same things. In a goal, if you find the goal that perfectly summarizes those three things, then you can have that true north, and you can feel integrated towards your center. Does that make sense, or am I using too much jargon? I don't know. I, I can does. explain I think you it should better. Keep saying it. Though. I, I, keep I'll, saying it. I'll, and yeah, I'll ask. I'll, questions. Let me give you an example. <laughs> okay, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Uh, so, well, can, can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. So you're talking sure. about when we first started talking today. You were saying how when you got out of school, how you were frustrated because your uh, professors and stuff wouldn't tell you how your style finds you, and you had to develop yeah. these tools to do that. This is just part of that. Absolutely. Okay. So this whole thing, this whole framework is stuff. It's not a thing that I invented. In fact, later on, after I in, wrote it all down, and everything, I would see fragments of these seven things in other people's frameworks or perspectives or whatever. So to me, that tells me this isn't a thing I made up. It's a thing that I found. It's like, th this is a real thing. And yeah. I just put some words to it. Um, and so this whole thing comes from studying my favorite artists that were able to stay on that tightrope 
for the longest amount of time and consistently make stuff happen for them and go deeper and deeper into their best work. You know, there's always falling off and stuff, whatever here and there. But, uh, and what happened from studying them and then trying to communicate it. Cause I was already teaching at teaching a class at the art school here through trying to communicate. These people have this thing. I started to notice this pattern. And so that's what this pattern is. And this is how I use this thing on myself weekly like i just did it yesterday like I, and the idea is what is uh, it <laughs> what is it, <laughs> is it what could this it is be so, <laughs> oh my gosh so here it is i'll t i'll tell you the whole thing okay. and then i'll i'll give you an example of what i mean by it so one is industry two is market three is niche and you can think about those as like concentric circles that make a target. Industry is the big thing right. that you're part of, like the entertainment industry, right. or the illustration industry. And the market is like the segment of that where you fit, where your people are thriving. And then the next part down is your niche. Within that market, what's your little corner of it? Mm -hmm. So then once you have that target, you can summarize that with four, which is your goal. So if you're in the illustration industry, in the market of editorial, like magazines and, and newspapers, and then the niche of, you know, liberal, uh, heady articles that you want to illustrate about psychology, then your goal could be, I want to make a full page illustration on the psychology page for the New York Times. And that, that goal says everything about your industry market and niche. So you don't have to you don't have to keep any of that in your head once you have that target. Does that make sense? Yeah, and also what you said there was really important is the idea of have you don't have to keep it in your head because I think that's what fucks exactly. up a lot of people is having to like remember constantly remember something. Yes. When it's like it's like if you're driving and you're always looking at the map, how stressful that is and also Absolutely. how yeah, you can't relax. You can't like go into fucking theta if you're or whatever whatever wave state. Of the, <laughs> I mean to say, uh, but you can't like if you're always checking where you are, then it's yeah. just like it's a shitty place. And I well exactly. So this and the other there's a bunch of things that this does. This and I feel like a lot of creative people, uh, myself included, for a long time would have this knee jerk negative reaction to a goal mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I, and I have actually a bunch of ideas of why I think that is. Uh, but in a, and maybe we can talk about that in a minute. But, but uh, for me, this single point on the horizon, it's not about achieving it. It's about your center and your focus. Mm -hmm. So even if, no matter who you are, whatever, you know, if you're a comedian or if you're uh, a designer or whatever, there's always like, if you can figure out your industry market and niche, and then you can identify the goal that is perfect for that. And when I was talking to um, Seth Godin, and I said to him, he's a what would illustrator, right? No, wait, he's a marketer. He's like a, he's like a, he calls himself a marketer, okay. but he's really um, more like a philosopher. And I, and you know, that's a compliment. And uh, he, mm -hmm. he's, he's a really brilliant dude. I almost feel like he uses the word marketing as like uh, smoke a, a screen. Trick. Yeah. Yeah. To, to get people in and kind of like try to help the world. Cause you know, a lot of people that get into marketing are, are not always doing it for the best reasons. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marketing yeah. is a, that's one of those sticky places. It really is. It's dicey, dicey shit. So uh, 
he, he said, I said to him, I was like, what would you tell an illustrator that wants to work for the New York Times? And the first thing he said was, find a different line. That line is too long. Like that, <laughs> go find, find, you know, find the magazine that's yeah. way closer to your niche. That's way more a better personal fit for you. And so if you can find that little point on the horizon, like, you know, for comedy right now, it might be, and I, because I'm not immersed in that world, I don't know, but, uh, you know, I imagine a lot of goals for comedians are have a Netflix special. Yeah. Well, is or, there something that is, what we're going to say? Or have a special. It's really, it's like a thing where, right. Yeah. Have a special. <laughs> and I think that if you get into the, if you get really granular in your industry market and niche, you can find that actually, you know, the same goes for my kids books. So like if I wanted to, if a lot of illustrators that want to make a kids book, they might think I want Penguin to publish it because it's the first one that comes to mind and they're the biggest, but the closer you get in the granular level of who you really are and where you fit in your industry market niche, you might know actually Chronicle Books, they're an indie publisher, they're, they're a smaller publisher, but they are the perfect fit. And if I focus my energy on making that happen, I will stay within my voice because they're a reflection of me. That's a really good point. That yeah, sense? that's a great point because a lot of times stuff is, uh, I mean, people want the thing that's, that's, that's uh, what's the word? It's the, it's the fad. So many things are yes, like exactly. fad driven and there's a better word for that. But there's so many things, especially entertainment, that it's like the, uh, ooh, this, this has a lot of cachet right now. And it's yeah, so 100%. everyone wants that same thing. It's like chasing a moving target, and it's also just this thing where, I mean, yeah, it's. I also think it's kind of like yeah, exactly that. But it's also kind of like um, hearing thunder and then going and trying to chase that lightning bolt. Like that's a wow, that's idea, good, man. That's great. You know what I mean? Because it's already <laughs> happened. It's so dumb like, to chase the thunder. Yeah. Yeah, it's, over. it's crazy town. Mm -hmm. So. So that I think of, and I, you know, I go and I think about that a lot because I've even recently decided to double down on podcasting and for a long time I wouldn't. And it was this idea of like, you know, there's no, there's no Emmys. This is, I'm, I'm getting my ego. This isn't like my, no, or this isn't like my normal thoughts. Right. I'm not like this much of an egomaniac where I'm like, well, there's no Oscars for podcasts. So I got to get out of this. Yeah. You know, I don't actually think that, but I find myself on a subconscious level, you know, I want to have a best selling book or a biggest Ted talk because that's what the world says. Then you're validated, but podcasts, because they're new, mm -hmm. relatively speaking, they, there's no romance in them. But if you will, I feel like every artist that does their thing in their time, they have to do it in, you know, areas where the, the establishment looks as less than it's like, Oh, you're in, you have a podcast. Wow. Cool. You know what I mean? Like, like I, you know, pa, uh, Picasso, when he starts doing cubism, everybody in the art world's like, this isn't art. This is, you know, but that's all we think of as his work. Yeah. So it's, al it's always about how do you like, you, you cannot be Bob Dylan now. It's not going to happen. Like you can't be the Beatles. You can't be, can't even be, Sufjan Stevens, I don't know, whatever. You like you, that's gone. Yeah, it's so that's done. the lightning it's, that's it's, gone. It's, it's yeah. all done. So much of that stuff is just it's uh the ship has sailed so long ago and the idea that you can ever have any sort of traditional career is uh is laughable and it's almost like a thing where if you are going to have a traditional career, it's not going to be because you wanted it. It's going to be because it's like it's just sort of how things shook out. 
Yeah. Like you, and, yeah, and you can't pursue th- that. No, you can't. I think about it too, like those, uh, those paths to success are these places where, uh, that road has been paved and there are vendors, cottage industries alongside it to help you get down the road and make it easy on the road and teach you everything you need to know. And, you know, and if you're on a road, that's that, you know, you're seeing all these people making money off of you and they're, and, and it's all really convenient and clean. Like the treasure's gone at the end of that road. Yeah. It's like the, all those people, it's like that old shit with the, uh, the people who made the most money in the gold rush for the people who sold the tools. That exactly. <laughs> exact, exactly. Yeah. And so I think about how, you know, what you want to look for is where are there still booby traps because where's their wilderness. And like, it's just, you know, like podcasting, when I got into podcasting was a, a better time than it is now because all of that information wasn't consolidated to be like, start a podcast with a click of an app. Like it was, I had to figure out hosting and micro and all it's just messy, messy stuff. But that was all the wilderness. And like, you know, a week I started my podcast launched the same week as serial. And it was like, that was like a good time for, for starting a pot. You know what I, does that make sense? I mean, I started podcasting before it was anything. And now it's like, it's weird for me because I've had to like really reassess a lot of stuff and I still am right now even. And I even have yeah. this other plan how I'm going to change the podcast because you basically can't do the podcasts that I used to do anymore. If you do, they're just, there's very two different audiences. You know, there's the, the mm. most people who listen to podcast podcasts want really, um, what's the word? It's just very kind of not mediocre, but just very easily digestible, fair, it's not too long. Yeah. It's always the same length. It's very, very narrow bandwidth and super consistent. And it's most, yeah, most people don't want something that's like this sort of um, like bizarre thing. They just want something mm. very toned down. And that's, I think that's fine. It's just that sure. things have changed so much to where if you're not going to do that thing that people want, you have to be okay with uh, your podcast not getting the traditional not being seen by the same people because it's just not sure it's a different world that gets into a really interesting question that I'm obsessed with, which is, uh, you know, when I decided, you know, I don't know, eight, seven, seven, eight years ago, something like that, I decided I want to be a good illustrator. Mm -hmm. I had to, I had to figure out what is good illustration. And, and then the design world of the time, which I was, you know, kind of on the periphery of, Designers love talking about what's good design. They just, they're so, like, I don't know why. Dude, they're the they're worst. just obsessed with it. <laughs> like, wanna th- they want to talk about it all the time. So there's all these definitions. Everyone's arguing about it. But in illustration, I hadn't even seen anybody ask that question. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell is illustration trying to do? Why do, like, what is a successful illustration? You know, like, what's the, what's the uh, theory? What's the philosophy behind yeah. it? And I didn't see any of that. And, but I thought, but I feel like this pursuit, no matter what you do, you should have, well, I don't, I don't like that. I, I suggest having a definition of good. And, and the reason I say that is, this is one of the reasons why I think comedy is so, especially stand-up, is so hyper-developed as, as a craft, yeah. is because the target is so clear. Laughs. We get laughs and we can measure it. Like we can have, we, have, we but where, with illustration, it was like, was that a successful illustration or not? 
And you're like, I don't know. How do I measure that? Yeah, it's true. Um, but yeah. And so I think podcasts, that's a question I've been asking for three or four years. What is a good podcast? And you, you just hit the nail on the head with all this, like starting to unravel because it's never existed before. We consume it in a totally different way than anything. It has some things in common with other audio spoken word stuff, but it's not the same as radio and it's not the same as a talk. Like if you try to make your podcast like a TED talk every week, it's going to fail because it's, that's too intensive information. Yeah, it's too much. And it's more like an audio book and it, yeah. So you, you've got to figure out what does it mean? What, what are people... Because they're digesting it passively. And, you know, for, for one thing, like at the time when podcasts started to kick off, lots of people were like, these things are too long. Like people don't want, to, you know, Joe Rogan three hour stuff. What, but the truth is certain types of podcasts, they do want that yeah. because they use it to get through long periods of things. Yeah, like I've had and so I know who worked in a chocolate factory. He listens to my podcast exactly. and he loves like the two hour podcast. He loves the ones that are long as shit. Because if, because if they, as soon as that episode's over, he has to choose another episode. You got to get and your, so, gotta wipe the chocolate off your hands. You got to <laughs> dig out the iPod. You got to do all this stuff. Yeah, yes. it's hard. It's, it's, so what is a good podcast is a totally, it's such a good, but that's why to me, that's one of the reasons I've been doubling down on that industry market and niche mm -hmm. just recently. When I did this process with myself recently, I, that's kind of the, the place I uh, went for because it's the it's still the wild west it's still early days people don't know really what is a good podcast so there's so much there's still tons of room yeah. to figure that out i mean it just seems like the best stuff is just the stuff that people who've done the most of it cuz it has the most uh mm. I mean, it's like anything if you do something a lot you have like a flu natural fluidity to what you do and that is always nice it's always nice to to listen to something that feels like it's not precious and it's not being done from a place of fear, but something in a place of like, uh -huh. you know, you're very relaxed in what you're doing. I completely agree. And I also, I think one of my other things that I uh, think a lot about in terms of creativity is the idea of taste. And I don't, yeah, man. I feel like a lot of people, I don't know, we have so much association with what that means. But when I say it, I mean, I'm speaking of like, you, you know, your taste buds, you know, like a sweet tooth has a, a, a taste for sweet things. Or, you know, if you're into beer, you, ha you have something about your palate that reads these different notes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the other thing going on with the people that succeed in podcasting is they have a good taste for, it's a metal detector for, ooh, this is good podcast. This is like what we're doing right now. Like that's a, and, and to me, that's, um, yeah, the people that can sense that, that have that taste, they can produce it because they can reverse engineer the recipes. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, taste is always so, so elusive. I sometimes just forget, like, um, I get, like, really, uh, I don't know, confused and feel like feel kind of lost because I'm like, what do I like? I can't remember what I like because I just so, I, I oftentimes will forget how much stuff I don't like. And it's hard when yeah. there's so many things you're seeing that are being lauded and they're being, like, uh, getting all this attention and press and you're like, I don't like this thing. And it's like this weird gnashing of, of, of worlds and like crossing of wires. We're like, oh, why is this thing that people like so much? Why, the, why do I hate it? And I just, it's not yeah. like I hate it because it's popular. It's like I really just don't find this interesting. And I want to, uh, the stuff that I do find interesting, I find it to be like, wow, this is so much more interesting than this other thing. 
And it's, I don't know, yeah. to me, I, was, I feel like kind of, I get feeling like I'm like I'm lost a bit because I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, like it, sometimes I, I find things like that have to do with nature, like pictures of animals and anything having to do with the natural world to be so much more interesting than anything on TV or Remake. anything, yeah. anything in the celebrity world yeah. whatsoever that I kind yeah. of, I just can't even believe that I do what I do. Right. Yeah. But, but. I think that's really, uh, I think that totally makes sense because I think a big part of the journey of, of an artist is um, you, you like something, like probably early on you were really into comedy, even as a kid or whatever. Yeah. And ev- But eventually, once you start really obsessively trying to dismantle and, and, and dis- dissect what, you know, what's funny, what do I like, and you consume tons of things, it's just like a chef, right? Like, at first, they might just like food, but they once you get deep into it, like you, uh, you can find you find less and less things that surprise you, yeah. and light you up, mm-hmm. right? And so, like once you're that deep into it, the only thing you can do, and this is where I think like the artist is born, is like is make things that fulfill all of the things that you love because nothing exists anymore. So it's weird because that means that a lot of people that will get into illustration or get into design or whatever, get, uh, they will lose their taste for what already exists and they only end up, they have to make stuff to light up their taste. Yeah. You have to make the thing you want to see. Exactly. There's so few things that if you, if you start to, have problems finding the things that you want to see and hear and whatever it is, whatever the product is, then you start to get like depressed and you start to like just feel kind of this ennui. But right. it's because you're not, if you're if you're dependent upon outside sources for stimulation and you're not finding these novel things anymore, you follow you fall into this this ditch. But especially yeah. if you're not creating the things that you, if you're not creating the things that you don't have then you become, that's like a bad place. Yeah. That's a bad place. And it's a, yeah, I think a lot of people get burnout and sick of their stuff yeah, because man. they were The fuel for the first half of their trajectory was other people's work. That was their inspiration. And then when that doesn't do it for them anymore, if they don't convert into that inner inspiration, because now for me, it's like when I get a job, like I, I always have to clarify, not because I'm hurting or anything, but I just don't want to discourage like, you know, a good project coming my way. But when I get a job and it's just like, just do your little style thing on this. I'm, I'm just like, huh? man, that's not, I don't care about style. It doesn't, that, that used to do it for me, but I just am not a fan of illustration like that. Like I used to be. What I'm much more interested in is in things that I have to say mm-hmm. with my style. Like I, and so that's, that's where I find inspiration is, oh, I was listening to this podcast and I was reading this book and then I had that experience and then I had a mental breakthrough that I'd never heard anybody say this idea. And now, and I found an analogy for how to say it. And, and then, then I can use my style and taste for illustration and all that stuff to communicate it. But by the time I do that, illustration is just an afterthought. It doesn't, I don't care. It doesn't, I don't care what the form is, the medium is. I, and that, and so I feel like if you're doing it right in that stage, hopefully you get to a point where you're a little bit like, you know, over the whole hype of the thing. And you're yeah. just, you know what I mean? I don't know if that it makes sense. It does make sense. Or not, the other but. thing I also kind of noticed this kind of recently that uh, I, I don't know if you think this is true as well, but 
I think when you get to that place where you're not really finding uh, the stuff that inspires you as much because you have to start creating it, uh, yeah. I think this is this some it's probably sounds really obvious and maybe even like uh, I don't know just like a like a shit a shithead idea, but um, <laughs> just how much harder it is, how much harder you have to work on your own stuff to create the stuff that you like than it was yeah. before. It's this thing I noticed. I'm like, oh my god, totally this is true. so much harder. I can't believe the degree. It's almost exponentially more difficult than it was six or seven years ago. Def, that's definitely true for me. So like I, it's just so fucking crazy though. What, it sucks. It is crazy. Like, yeah, it is. I, it is like I, yeah. the, I've made this kid's book this uh, month. I was like working on this kid's book and it took me so much longer than any other book that I've ever made. And it was because of that. Mm -hmm. It's because I just, there was so much, so many things I needed to do for it to be what I considered good. It just, and the same goes for an episode. Like the, the longer the podcast goes, the more time I spend on every episode because I just, it takes that much more. I'm that much pickier in my taste right. for it to, to feel like I got it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's totally it's crazy. I, no one's ever, I never heard anyone say that before. You know, it's weird. Like you hear a lot of the yeah. opposite. Like it gets easier, but no one ever. I've never heard anyone say like, "Hey, just so you know, um, if you figure out your shit and you find a find a voice and you really like what you have to say, that it's going to be so much significantly difficult, and you have to put in so much more time than you would on anything else." Yeah, like, I have a theory about that. Oh, I'm going to hear this. Uh, I, the my theory is that we might be that that might be the middle phase. So like one thing I think about when I feel like you see there's, there's comedians in three camps and I guess I go to them because they, they have so many podcasts. So I've listened to so <laughs> many of, I've listened to it. You know what I mean? Like I just, I've heard their, their path so much more than other artists. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think there's, there's people in three camps. And to me, it seems like it's a, a sequence. So like, uh, you have people that they, they, they don't know what they're doing. Uh, they don't know how it works, but they just know that they got to play and they got to just, and so they, they stick with that. And then the next phase is they start realizing there's patterns and there's a craft and there's practice and they, they start, you know, tearing it down and deconstructing it. But when you do that, that's where it gets really hard. It gets really like muddy because you're so in your head and you're in your, well, I believe it's like your prefrontal cortex when you're in like planning and execution it's mode. Very like, you're it's not very, in play. It's basic. It's, it's kind of like grunt work almost. It's very, it's actual work that is not, yeah, it's, not actual fashion, work. it's not fashionable. It's not um, interesting. It's not glamorous at all. It's really just like time spent. Yeah, yeah, it's real work. It's not super fun, and but it's in that. But what I think happens is they start going into that deconstruction, and sometimes when you, I think it gets in the in that middle. Even the more you know, the less good the stuff gets because you're so you're so deconstructed and you're so in the not part of your play zone, and so. But then I think you see people. The real masters are the people that go th travel through that and return back to play. And I think of it like, um, like sports where, you know, there's the people out just on the court playing and then there are people that learn how to do a jump shot right and how to 
you know, practice right and all that. But if they take that mental game into the game, they're not better because they're in their head. It's that how can you get past because you can't, you know, it's that you can't write and edit at the same time. Yeah. So I, it has that you you got to figure out how do you it's someone there's like a really famous one of like, how do you learn all the rules and then forget all the rules and then do it? Yeah. And so I feel like I know what you're saying there. Exactly. Time, I feel like yeah. that for like in terms of acting, it's a very easy metaphor or way to translate it because it's like if you're just doing improv, you're just, just you're in the moment and you're you're 100 percent playing. Then if you're rehearsing, uh-huh. you're you're going off of that. But I think wh- what I found recently yeah. is that when the bigger the thing, the the bigger, the more important, the more like uh, I don't know, the more the la- the larger the project, and the more you're trying to say, uh, it just takes that much more rehearsal. It's almost like an exponential amount of more rehearsal to get to a place mm-hmm. where when you're actually doing the thing you can be real cavalier and relaxed and play with it. And so That's exactly it just takes true, yes. so, like I found out the hard way a couple of times, I'm trying to develop this, this hour-long show, just how yeah. much I have to do to get to the place where I can go back to being how it was the first time I did it was fucking gangbusters, right? It was awesome, it was yeah. great because it was the first time. And I have this new thing now I realize is that the second show of something is always the worst it's the worst because yeah. it's I told yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have the same experience with the talks that I do. I do like a, a talk that is kind of in between a, an educational thing and kind of a one man show mm-hmm. thing. If I'm so bold to say something, so you might as well just say, but, uh, I'll say there's a lot I'm of comedians who have comedy shows show. that are funny. So you might well, as- okay, maybe <laughs> it's like that, but it's uh, it, I, you know, I have a great time doing it, but what I learned was, uh, I have to, it's similar to when I used to do interviews when I was much less experienced doing that on the podcast. I would do no prep because I'm like, oh, it's just better when it's casual. And then it would bomb. And then I would do crazy prep and it would go well, but I wouldn't use any of the prep. Yeah, man. So then I would think, then I'd think, all right, I guess I don't need to prep. And then I'd go into a one with no prep and then bomb. And so it was like, I was like, oh, I need to back and forth, back prep and forth. like a maniac, prep like a maniac. And then the same goes for when I go on stage, do my talk, prep like freaking crazy. But then the second I go on stage, forget it. Just completely disconnect with all of the prep and let it be. It's I, you know, I've read, uh, I was reading this book about tennis. It's just this like muscle memory. Just let your, once you've packed it in there, then it's about let your subconscious do the job. Don't think about your form don't think about I gotta make sure I hit all those points. Just, go, just flow. Yeah. Just do. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's one of those things where um, it's like it's the kind of thing I knew for a long time. I guess it, it took me till very recently to realize that for myself, uh, when it's something I'm doing, I have to work just so much more on the thing in terms of preparation. Yeah. Than I would for someone else's thing because yeah, it's like. Almost like I can I can't fool myself. Mm-hmm. I can fool. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's that weird thing where if you're stepping into someone else's thing, you can, I can play so easily. But when I can't, yep. it's so, so much harder to play with yourself. That's a I quote can, for the of the week. It's, <laughs> uh, I I had a my my brother and my dad both do public speaking in their professional work. 
and they're always like, cannot believe how much energy I put into prepping for my talks. Like, it, and it is pretty insane. Like, it, it's a, I, you know, I go through a crazy process, but I think once you have tasted the joy of the flow state after a preparation like that, that's where you get those people. And I think you see it in standups too. Like that, that's why they go through months and months and months of prepping and testing and, you know, all that stuff. Because when you do, it's like an out of body experience when you're that in, in the, in the pocket there, like you're like, I'll do anything for this. This is better than drugs. This is better than sex. It is like, it's an amazing feeling. It's so to funny be you that. say that. Cause I was also was about to say, it's like being a heroin addict where it's like, I've been on heroin for so long that it takes so much more heroin to get me high now. And I just, yes. I keep forgetting like that, I, how much heroin I have to do to get high. I have to do so yeah. much heroin. I'm like, really this much heroin? I have to do this much? And my body's like, yeah, man, you have to do an hour of heroin. Otherwise, you won't, it just won't work. You, you won't get the fucking it. jazz. Yeah. Just, I'm going to take this, that audio clip out of context. <laughs> but uh, I need to do but, so uh, much. My tolerance is just, my tolerance is astronomical now. It's ridiculous. Yes. But I think, I, just to push back on it, because I think that soils the truth of it. The reason why, to me, it's so much better than heroin or whatever. Right. I wouldn't know. I've never done heroin. But the is because I think we're primarily social animals. And when you're doing something, you're making a gift for other people with that much love and intention and, and everything, and you're watching it be received. That's why you're on the planet. So when, you, when you're doing that, you prep this whole show for somebody and you watch people enjoy it, you're like, ah, I'm, I matter. And that, it's meaning. Me, and I know there's all kinds of ways that can get out of hand. And I'm sure, I mean, every, lots of artists have been there too. But I actually think, I do think that's why we're here. And I think if you can figure out how to matter to other people intentionally, I do think that's a good thing. I th I'm sure there's a lot of Buddhists and such that would disagree with that kind of attachment. I don't know. I think they would actually kind of, what you just said sounds very Buddhist in that sense. There's a lot of Buddhist philosophy where I find it's, um, it kind of goes both ways where something that yeah. seems like it would be antithetical to it is actually 100% in line with it. It's kind of that whole, the things that wrap around the back end, like you've got like crazy right wing, uh, right, right wing, uh, preppers who are very similar yeah. to a lot of like super left wing yes. commies who, when they meet yes. on the street, like, you're into this? Yeah, I am into that too. Who are you voting for? Right? Like, no. <laughs> it's when it's like the same <laughs> fucking, they're really similar. Yes. The, yeah, that's one of the things that is the most attractive about Buddhism to me is that it is so non -dual. Oh, it's super it's so pliable much, and it can be, you can put it on anything. Yeah. You can be a Buddhist Catholic. Yes. Yeah. So I, I do think that that, because, and I think that's, that's truer to experience is that there's this, you know, the Niels Bohr quote of, you know, the opposite of a profound truth might be another profound truth. That's the nature <laughs> of truth. I don't think I've heard that before. It's a good, it's a good He's quote. He's a physicist, uh, right? But, Astrophysicist? Yeah, I th yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that, I feel like that Buddhism does that really well, whereas there, a lot of other religions are more like 
uh, toddler. Oh, man, I'm getting. I'm just like, <laughs> say it effing with the whole uh, religious system. No, but I think that there's a, um, or at least the way they're interpreted and practiced. I'll say that that's safer yeah. in the modern world is more like a toddler consciousness. I keep. Thi- I've been thinking about this all the time. Like the like when you have a toddler. You don't tell the toddler, okay, this is the oven. It's it's used for a lot of great things. It cannot, you know, you say oven is bad. It's black and yeah. white. There's there's no other, in, you know what I mean? Um, whereas once you get older, you realize like, oh, reality is a lot. There's a lot more nuance yeah. to truth. And it's just, you mm-hmm. know. But you can't tell yeah. the toddler that because yeah. the toddler's like, you'll figure it out. But right no. now you have to know this will kill you. Or at least yes, be exactly. very expensive just, to fix. And you may yeah, lose your yeah. hand or, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah. Burn your face off. You know what? When I was a kid, I wish my mom would have told me that about the oven. This is a weird thing that I don't know. I don't know if I've ever talked about this thing. But when I was like, I don't know, six years old, I was at my mom's house. And she's uh, she's like ADHD, weirdo, like not not the best parent. I'm sorry, mom. She'll never okay. hear it. It's, I love her. But she's not. she wasn't made to be a mom. Uh and she left the, uh, the iron on, and I went in there, and I put it on my face. How old are you? This, I think I was like six. Wow. And then bef- before I realized what had happened, I put it on the other side and evened it. <laughs> you look great, Andy. You look fucking good, man, for a kid to put a fucking iron I know, on I know, his face. I know. Luckily, well, my dad is a good dad and he changed my gauze and can you imagine like I spent the weekend with her like once a month or something and then she passed me back off to my dad like take him to the hospital put this band you're gonna have to remove these like that's insane man that's fucking a good friend of mine uh, his grandma his mother was watching his kid and the little kid did the classic thing of pulled over the the tea the teapot on herself and got She's like a two-year-old, always burns all over her chest and stuff. Lord. She's great now, but oh, man, Lord. fucking kids are Ish. kids are goddamn what a tough. nightmare. Man, I when I I have this vivid imagination, so I would say like once a day with my kids, I will like I'll think about what if they just ran out into the road and got hit by a car, and I play the movie in my mind to the point of. I always have a physical reaction. Like if you're watching, if you were watching me all the time, you would see me once a day be like, (laughs) 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 and it happens all the time. Cause I'll think, what if this, what if when my kid comes down in the middle of the night, he just falls down the stairs and I just have this super vivid memory or, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. picture of what that would look like. It's like trauma. Do you meditate? Yeah, man, kids. I don't, I know I don't meditate. Uh, I, and, and I, I don't know. I have a weird, yeah, why, why not? not? Uh, it sounds boring. That's the main, that's the <laughs> it truth. Sounds it sounds boring. Okay. And actually, uh, I, and I'm not saying, like, I'm very driven by not being okay. bored. That's, and I think that's the quintessential ADHD thing. I don't think everybody knows that. I think that's it, is that ADHD, you don't have good executive function, so you're, you're like a toddler brain, and you're just like, nope, don't want to do that. It sounds boring. I don't, like, and, and so I don't, that's why I don't want to meditate, but I will say, no, what were you going to well, say? Well, I mean, I um, what you're talking about, like having that mental thing. So yeah. when I learned meditation years ago, they talk about how um, there's no bad thoughts, right? Everything you're thinking uh-huh. is fine. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of ideas about meditation that are completely wrong. I misguided the whole idea of clearing right. your mind. Somehow yeah. that got out there and it's absolute fucking hokum. 
And because uh, it's like the, the analogy that I was told was that it's like, do you want to clear your your heart of blood? No, your heart's mm. your heart's job right. is to yeah. pump blood. So, and That's your good. brain's job is to think. So, in meditation, you are definitely thinking stuff. And a lot of times, what happens in meditation is you think something terrible. I'll think about like, you know, something like a like me getting my hand chopped off with an axe, or just something that mm-hmm. makes me do that. And it happens all the time. But I think of it as, and I think this is other people have talked about this. Like meditation teachers have talked about how. Um, Meditation is sort of like a like a like a digester for negativity. It like mm. takes it and mm. it contextualizes, it. or like a white blood cell. A white blood cell wraps mm. around the the uh, invader and carries it out. It digests it. And so I think about a lot of times when you think about something bad, you're almost you're preparing yourself for it to happen. So it it won't be as it won't be as bad. Like I used when I was working on this TV right, show, yeah, it was way dangerous. I would always imagine the different ways I could die in the situation we were shooting. It was like super dangerous mm. stuff. I was like, okay, I could, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And it seems like I'm being super morbid, but actually I think it's the opposite where it's like I really, really don't want to die, so I'm going to think about all yeah. the ways I could die so I don't – because I think death wants to surprise you. Mm. <laughs> I really do. I honestly think I think you can what? you can cheat death by – by fucking, you know how how a mountain lion or a tiger doesn't attack really you if you're looking at it. Uh huh. Same way. I think it's that. Man, that is so. I'm gonna be. Th- I'm gonna chew on that. That's cool. so. I think that's you crazy. thinking about that stuff is probably. I I doubt that. Yeah, it's you like being prepared I mean, for this. It, but reaction, it makes me thing. a better parent than my mom. Like, and and I mean, it's so funny because my mom doesn't have internet, mm-hmm. so I literally can say whatever I want about her. And I we don't have a great relationship, but. But it does. That's the thing that I don't think that she did. She, you know, she didn't think, oh, he could take this iron and put it on his face. But I think about that stuff all the time. So I'm pretty good for the most part, you know, knock on wood for like, you know, stopping catastrophe with my kids. Uh, One thing you said about meditation, I don't know if this might put us on to a totally different weird wavelength, but it's something I've just been thinking about all the time is, um, and it's gonna. It's such a polarizing idea. Okay, so just, I'm sorry if your listeners. I like polarizing, but and who cares? Okay, <laughs> okay. So I started thinking about, uh, you know, this idea of speaking in tongues. This is no one's gonna right, like. You'd this, be surprised, okay? man. People do a lot of drugs. Okay. To this shit. Okay, maybe they will. Mm-hmm. May this might be the perfect. Look at setting. this thing. So, uh, this yeah, what is that? Normal. I like it. <laughs> It definitely yeah. looks it's normal. normal to me. Um, <laughs> they, so I started thinking about uh, speaking in tongues, not a practice that I've ever actively participated in. You know, I've never been an active practitioner, um, but I grew up in the Midwest and I spent a lot of time in, I've been in like almost every type of church. I've, I've visited Seventh day Adventist? That. No, I haven't. There you go. Maybe I'm, maybe it's less than I think, but um, enough to where I have, and I have family members that are charismatic Christians that speak in tongues and and I'm covered in his blood. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so I started yesterday, I think I started thinking about, I wonder what, and I'd heard a little bit about this before uh, someone speak to it, but what that does to the brain. Because I knew they had done, like Harvard 
had done like studies of like people speaking in tongues in the same way that they did with meditation. Uh -huh. And so what does it do to the brain? And it's super fascinating because it, they said it's almost the opposite of meditation, not in a way, but in the Niels Bohr way of like, it has other benefits. There's all these, like, if you speak in tongues regularly, your, your cortisol is like, levels are really low mm. and like all these things. And so anyway, I'll just say that speaking in tongues as a, I guess I would consider myself a mystic and maybe not in the way that a charismatic would think about it is more interesting to me. I also, I also do this clanging thing all the time. You ever heard no. you know what that is? <laughs> clanging is like, and I don't know what this is, but it's, it's, I'm very obsessed with the phonetics of a word. So I get oh, me into too, big these, time. Yeah. I get into these, like I I'll have words that are like in a bucket and they'll be like churn to where they'll leave. Like they'll come back and they'll, you know, there's things I go to, but I'll walk around the house and I'm speaking nonsense all the time. Just like making rhymes and saying weird words and coming up with phrases and also like trying to surprise myself by saying something that I didn't expect I was going to say. Um, and it's especially, it's like, it's what it's called. Is the, the psychology term is. Clean. I didn't know that. I always thought it was and just so, like me being like a like a lunatic, like just loving to say like, oh, <laughs> yeah. like uh, come up with a name like, oh, this is fucking Richard Kickfick. He's a fucking, yeah. uh, he works for, uh, he just yeah. come up with, sometimes I would just sit on an airplane for an hour and write down names, like weird names. Yeah, so it's just like this phonetic thing. and It's, it's a just sound this, too. It's a sound because I, I, I only share them with a few of my friends, like old friends who are musicians, and they will laugh uh -huh. at these names like, oh, that's fucking Budger's Ledge up there. That's where fucking yeah. like Dick <laughs> Fart, not, that's a bad one, but it's more like, oh, that's, uh, that's Cliff Boop. Or just like yes. weird, weird sounding names that are funny just because they sound funny. Just the phonetics of it, and it's fun, and it, you like it feels yeah. good. And I, uh, reading Jim Henson's biography, he I found out that he had a similar thing. That's why I didn't you know, know this Muppets, I, this is... Fraggles, like just he liked he he loved finding a word like there's a bird, you know, grackle. Yeah, oh, one of my favorite bird, words, like, grackle. Such a good word, yes, grackle. Yes, so. So the so he will just he he was the same and he would just like collect this uh, phonetic word so I'll I'll just like walk around saying that crap so I to me man this is where it gets dicey that's what it feels like it, I imagine that that feels similar to speaking in tongues and that's why that sensation is more interesting to me than meditation well see so here's like, this is it's this active is it's and up. fun well go ahead I, it cuts What's you that? off this audio shits <laughs> no. you're saying no, <laughs> I was just saying that, that, so I researching that the other day, that became a lot more interesting to me than meditation. And I also thought, and, and maybe this is where it starts. I thought someone's got to say, Hey, man, this, this is where it's dicey, but anybody can do it. Just go try it. That's like in those circles, that's very, uh, what, the, the speaking in tongues, but it's yeah, that anybody could do it, you know, and it's not, it's not their, uh, you know, uh, what's the word like truth, their soul. They don't, they don't have a trademark to it. They don't. Yeah. It's not their, it, it's not their proprietary IP. And well, the truth is, and then you go deeper into that, like in India, I believe, um, there's Kundalini. Right. It's the same thing. It's the same. 
I don't think they would say it was the same thing, but if you look at it, it's Well, very there's similar. Vedic meditation, and Vedic meditation is one of the yeah. oldest forms of meditation. And I do transcendental meditation, which is based in Vedic meditation, which is based right. on so you got like a, a mantra. mantra. And that is yeah. the same. Yeah. Like, I tried a bunch of meditation styles before landing on TM, and they didn't stick yeah. because of they didn't have that aspect of it. Because to me, the only other thing I've actually found to be nice is doing the, there's a form of new, Thing called Nichiren Buddhism, where you chant Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, and that's very, mm-hmm. you know, it's verbal and you chant it out loud, and it has like this rhythmic quality to it. And even mm-hmm. the basis of the religion is what what Nam Yoho Renge Kyo actually means. It's basically it means what it is. It's like the sound of mm-hmm. the sound right. kind of thing. Yeah. It's a weird. Mm-hmm. It's I don't I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But wait, what? Almost like an onomatopoeia. Yeah. It's like is that kind of. But yeah, what you're right. saying though is a hundred percent the same as meditation in that, that sense, where it's this thing yeah. where you're <clears throat> you're cycling through a thing that has like a a rhythmic quality to it, and it creates a. It's almost like if you swirl your hands in water, you're going to create this whirlpool, and that's what you're doing, mm-hmm. which is why I think that you would probably love that type of meditation. I probably would. I like, uh, the thing, the, o- the only thing that I like about speaking nonsense, <laughs> by the way, let me just say this. I'm, there's this, t- the tension that I'm feeling is that the, the camp that I'm, I'm part of, there's no camp that I'm part of. Basically. I feel like by talking about speaking in tongues, I will both upset people that are on every, there's no place where you can speak about that where you're not offending somebody by what you're saying. I don't think saying. you're offending but, anybody, honestly. I really don't. Okay. Also, maybe, I could maybe give not. a shit about yeah. anyone being offended and, by it. And I'm trying to actually embody that more in my, you know, public yeah. life of how, how do I, how, because, and actually my therapist, I was doing therapy yesterday and she was saying like, you need to do that, man. You need to get, like be like, cause I was talking about the, the kind of groups of friends that I feel in the middle mm-hmm. of and the and, and how I feel like I don't fit. And it's that same thing back to Yoda Gandalf thing of like, I do feel like I'm on the edge of like talking about speaking in tongues is a thing where that's me going out on my own road. Nobody's, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like not, there's nobody that's happy about this. If I'm not, if I'm not in the charismatic Christian, if I'm saying, yeah, you're speaking gobbledygook in my mind, that's really offensive to them. But then also it's uh, the non-religious can, or, or I'm, I'm, a, I'm assuming or suspect of that kind of talk. But that's, that is the kind of stuff that I want to do in my creative work as I want to, I want to find those pockets. And I, and I think, um, you know, like Seeger Ross, that uh, they actually, they're an example of somebody who did that in a secular way mm-hmm. like that. Lots of their lyrics are that. They're also from Iceland, Um, right? Yeah. I think it's pretty well known that most Icelandic people, I think like 80% of people in Iceland believe in gnomes. Like people, you can stop a businessman (laughs) on the street, like, oh yes, gnomes, they're real. Like they're they're fantastical people. (laughs) Magical quality. Yeah. 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 Maybe. So, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but that, that's the kind of stuff that I, that I've been reflecting on of, the next places I want to go or the no man's lands of, you know, nobody's talking or thinking about Dr. That Seuss and it's uncomfortable. And yeah, I mean, I love Dr. Seuss. I, all of the, they're, he's again, crazily good at the phonetics. Dickens. Um, Dickens. I don't, I don't know. Uh, that well. I don't know him that well either, but I know that Charles Dickens used to basically walk like, I don't know, six or seven hours a day. 
and he would yeah he'd write most of his stuff as he's walking, but also he all of his characters he started with their name. Yeah, that's really? how where he would start the character is the name, and I feel like for me that's I learned that like long after I started doing characters, but for me I always start a character. Their name to me is super important because uh, it feels like. I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, the idea of like that. who you are at face value is so important because it really is, it's kind of like that's... It's an anchor. It's going to center mm-hmm. you. You have to have something to hold on to with that. And that, yeah, that, that sent back full circle to all that. I, that is my, that's my primary goal for creative people is how do you get centered? Because I feel like we all know the difference between creating from a place of, inspiration centered your you know intention and then just being like what the hell am i doing but you know who am i what i don't know what's going on like yeah when you said that, that you're talking about the uh the circle like the industry the um yeah market, market the niche and then the goal you said there was a seven part thing what is the seven part thing yeah i'll give you the rest of it there's also this is kind of a plug but no it's not, actually it's not really it's do, a, do plug please plug it's a i have a skillshare class it's about this, and and you know, there, there you go, and it has all of them. Let but me I'll just tell announce it real right quick. Now. Hold on. The Andy J Pizza Skillshare class. You look it up on Andy. Is that correct, Andy J Pizza? Andy yep. J Pizza on Skillshare will teach you how to hone in on your creative profession in a way that you didn't think was possible before. <laughs> that's uh, that. That's it. The. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's yeah. So the, the seven steps, industry, market, niche, goal, project. So the project is then a self-initiated thing you do. And the idea with that is it mirrors your goal exactly. So is, you know, one of the examples I go to all the time is uh, Goodwill Hunting is a good example. They wrote the movie that they wanted to be cast. Right. In, right. So that and the more clearly defined your industry, market, niche and goal the more you can do that on purpose. And I love that example of Goodwill Hunting because I feel like they they didn't mirror it well enough for both of them. Mm-hmm. So like I've heard them talk about how they thought they were giving Ben a great part because he has the big monologues in the movie and it's like a character. But what happens is if you don't mirror your project to how you want to be perceived and typecast, you're putting all this... In, like. Everyone watched that movie and then thought, Matt's a genius and Ben's a towny idiot. Like, it, that, so you, because we, we typecast people with that surface level thing, you know what I mean? So you should be in control of that with the projects you make of saying, this is who I want you to know that I am rather than leave all these things up to chance. So making your own project is your chance to do that. That's uh, five. Six is, uh, is finding a back door. So, and that's, it's the marketing component. And so this is about how to get your project in the door where you don't go to the front door of the Death Star. You got to find the, what, what is it? The, the, the exhaust yeah. valve, right? Yeah. So my whole thing, you don't know, like when I was trying to get into band posters, I didn't just go to my favorite band. I went to my favorite band's favorite band because there are, more critically acclaimed and lesser known. So like back to that Seth Godin thing, the line's way smaller. So my first band posters were people who had their email address published to their website 
And all of my, and a lot of my favorite bands love these bands, but you know, they're not getting emails all the time from illustrators wanting to do Mm -hmm. posters for them. So that's taking that project, finding your back door to get in, get into the place you want to get. Um, and then the last one is the reinvent pivot. So it makes the whole thing a cyclical process where you're just doing this over and over in your career. And it's, and it's a, that's, I think of it as like, this is the life cycle of a thriving creative practice. So, and the reinvention point, you know, I always think about, um, Lauren Michaels was talking shit about Chevy Chase saying like the, the difference between him and Steve Martin is Steve Martin had like six careers and Chevy Chase just had one groove and you stay in that groove long enough and it's a rut, mm-hmm. not a groove. So you're, and I think, so the, I think that's the natural life cycle is that once you've done that project and you've tried to get it in back doors, then you step back and you, you, I, in the class, we have this flow chart. It's just a, it's not a technical thing, but it helps you to go reverse and reverse look at your plan and say, where did this thing go wrong? Like for, for instance, like the, the, the book illustration thing I did, that was, I went wrong in the market. Like I was in the right industry. It was illustration, but the market was the wrong thing. And then there were times where the goal was the wrong thing, but you can just work backwards and be like, Oh, I need to do a new project and mirror it. I didn't mirror it well enough to the goal or the goal was the wrong goal or what, you know, whatever. That's the seven. I love that. That's great. And people can check all this stuff out on your podcast as well. Right? True. Yeah. We talk about it all the time. That that's kind of the, that's one of the main through lines of all the, all the shows is this, process that I use and thing I use. It's a tool for finding my mall map. You are here thing. I always think about it. Like, where am I in this journey? What part am I stuck in? And as soon as I know that I'm a lot more centered, I'm like, Oh, I need to find my niche. Like I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I'm without a goal. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to find where that is. Yeah. I think now is such a great time. Like I just like when I, when I thought to have you on the podcast right now, it just seems like I don't know. It keeps to me. It keeps seeming even more and more like just a great time to do the thing you haven't done that you want to do because it's kind of like it's like free play right now. You you can yeah. get with because one of the biggest hurdles I think for a lot of people is like quitting your job or basically having the initiative to say, hey, what I want to do is important enough to where I can like take up space and and say it out loud. Like I want to do this and not do mm-hmm. that. And it's super, super hard for people, and understandably so. And so I think like right now is almost like a, it's like a, you know, it's like a window of time where everyone's so freaked out. There's so much stress right now. Um, this is what I kind of keep thinking is, um, I was talking to my wife Britt about this because she's she's very yeah. very wise in a lot of these things that that make me like, she just understands it so much more. But like the idea of um, mm-hmm. kind of like. Right now, I feel like it's a uh, time when you can, you don't have to worry about what anyone's thinking about, what you're doing. You don't have to be judgmental or feel any shame about anything because there's so much of that going around for everything else that's sucking all that up. And also, you're not going to fucking make it through this shit if you do feel shame or guilt or any weird things emotions around that because it's going to fucking break you down because you're stuck on this little hovel yeah. and you can't you don't have the normal outlet so you have to get your shit together otherwise you're going to turn into dust yes yep and that, that that's where when everything breaks down that's where you're able to look into the shadow self the part that you've been 
holding back at arm's length, trying to ignore. That's and and that's why uh, in episode two sixty nine of my podcast, I talk about um, I use the way I use my process. Part of the reason I built that creative journey process is because you know one fundamental to my worldview, as cliche as it might be, is uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. So I use that narrative in a similar way to when I'm feeling like I've lost the thread of my life and I feel like I'm tetherless, then I ground myself in narrative, which is the hero's journey. And I look through the phases and I say, which one looks most like my life right now so that I can fall into that and, and figure out what do you do? What does the hero do when he's in the belly of the whale? And so as I was looking around, I'm like, First of all, it's amazing. Our whole world, for the first time maybe ever, is in the same stage of the journey. So, like, there might even be this amazing emergent quality of what happens where we all come together as a super species because I don't, that's crazy futurist right. optimism. But I'm just saying, like, there's some interesting thing that can happen when we're all in the same place at the same time. You look at the belly of the whale. This is what I, I was talking about in that episode uh, that what they do, the character has to face what they're repressing or face the call that they're refusing. And so that's a great time to step back and say, you know, in the call you're refusing, that's Jonah and the whale, where he's refusing to go to that land that God tells him to go. So that's when he's in the belly of the whale. But in Star Wars, it's Han and Leia, when they go in the cave that's really a worm, they're repressing their feelings mm -hmm. for each other. So they got to face their repre that repression. So you're, I feel like you're totally right. This is a, such a pivotal moment for creative people or anybody to step back and say, what's the shit that I've been pretending isn't there? What's the stuff that I've wanted to explore so bad that's so true to me, but I've just been, I've had all the excuses of time and money and sh shame and parental judgment and all that stuff. All that's gone. So now is the time to go into the cave that uh, Joseph Campbell to say, you know, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. What's the cave in you and your, your taste and all that, that, that it's time, this is the time to go in that cave. This is the time. <laughs> go into the cave. Go in the cave, go in there, find some good stuff. Andy J Pizza, podcast is Creative Pep Talks. It's uh, where the finest podcasts are sold online and it's also for free. <laughs> it's, it's worth every Check penny. it out. Thanks for being here, I really appreciate yep. it, man. Thanks for having me, man. This was very energizing yeah, for my for soul. For real. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to hit um, end meeting now. Ready? Okay. Three, hey. two, one.